0: You're listening to the Friends Stalking Nerdy Podcast Network.
1: Friends Stalking Nerdy. Randy Taylor, I don't know where you people come from. I don't know if you test your products, your quantity of your product. Your products are very delicious. I love your sausage for 30-something years, but I can't take and feed a family of five on a little 12-ounce roll of sausage. I don't mind paying you more money for your 16-ounce roll of sausage. But you don't have it anymore. You've got a 12-ounce roll, and you got three men that weigh over 200 pounds apiece, a woman that's a little plump Scotch girl, and a daughter who's 13, and you're going to try to take a 12-ounce roll of sausage and a couple of dozen eggs and feed that. It ain't going to work, and I'm not going to purchase your product anymore or ever again. And as far as your 16-ounce in maple and sage, I don't eat that. I'm not from the north. I'm a Texas man. Jimmy Dean sausage is for southern people to eat with the breakfast with the fried eggs and the T-bone steaks. And I can't see going to a little 12-ounce package to feed four, five, six people. And I'm not going to buy two of those 12-ounce packages just because you want to downsize and charge the same goddamn price. I'd sure like a reply, and I'd sure like you to go back to your 16-ounce package on your regular sausage, because I'm not going to buy it otherwise ever again. I'll just have my own damn sausage made like I used to 30-something years ago. It's not tasty as yours is, but it'll work. Goodbye. That little 12-ounce goddamn roll of sausage is supposed to feed your brother and me and you, 600 pounds of men at least, you get my point, point? and the two girls, and they put it in that fucking pussy roll of sausage. Son of a bitch. Somebody needs their ass kicked. Some little consumer geek a Fuck this shit up. Save money. Save money. Save money. Yeah, save money. Save money. So fuck, I'm going to eat, goddammit.
0: Everybody, welcome to another episode of Friends Talking Nerdy. This is Tim the Nerd, and joining me all the way in Portland, Maine, we have here Holiness, the Reverend Tracy. How are you doing?
2: Oh, I'm I'm doing great. I'm doing my usual and watching too many documentaries in my spare time while dealing with the madness that is leading up to the Haunted House season. Fun,
0: upbeat documentaries, I presume?
2: (laughs) Oh, you know it with me. Not at all about like the child molestation abuse epidemic that we refuse to acknowledge in America. Um, Yeah, like that being said, I finally caught the Leave No Trace documentary, um, which is about the sexual abuse allegations and the bankruptcy filed with the Boy Scouts of America group. Um, And wow, boy oh howdy, is it clear that they cannot deny any more to the extent of which they knew this was a problem. Uh And um, I think what particularly was gut twisty about it, because I mean, spoilers, right? It's a documentary. I don't really believe in spoilers when it comes to documentary because you're just sharing facts that's readily available. But to me, the craziest thing was, I guess, like in the 90s, they tried to address it. And it's super creepy watching their little training video telling them how to deal with it if they do either suspect or know that a child is being abused by another counselor or scoutmaster etc it wasn't what do you think they said do you think they said go to the police tim because they absolutely did not say go to the police they said to report it internally which to me just they didn't even highlight that part but that was one of the just Uggier factors about it, especially when you realize they had what they called these IV folders, uh-huh. which was um, basically they, they can't volunteer anymore. But they had folders about abuses done to children that they never turned into any proper authorities. Um, and it was interesting because some of them came about in different ways that wouldn't have been admissible in court. For example, there was a, um, a priest who contacted BSA to inform them that somebody had confessed, like in, you know, that setting, you can't admit that in court, that that's not something you can do. That is something that actually protects people and their religious rights. But I guess there's nothing saying that they can't warn an organization that you do shit that maybe you shouldn't be allowed to volunteer with them anymore. So interesting, just documentary i highly recommend it especially if you can handle kind of hearing those things um there is kind of some trigger warning stuff because of course some of the interviews they do explain what happened to them so you have to have at least kind of a strong emotional gut for that part but very well done very informative highly recommend uh watching that one it was good
0: Good to hear. Good to hear. Um, Yeah, like you said, it sounds like it's not the type of topic that you could just uh, put on, have on the background for just anybody. You do have to be prepared for it.
2: Yeah, maybe don't watch this one with your kids, right, because it's a little bit, you know, above that, that they necessarily don't need to be exposed to at a young age. But I think it's good knowledge to have, um, especially if you are a parent. Um, cause yeah, I think you should be kind of informed of some of the more suspicious or the ways that your child may start acting out behaviorally if they do experience abuse, because it can happen outside of the home. And like they pointed out in this documentary, it doesn't even have to be that they get them out into the woods, Right. Like there's these odd little opportunities where things like that can happen. So um, and to me, it's just it's another documentary that to me says, oh, why don't we have more mandatory reporting education? Because if any of the school teachers had been able to identify these behavioral markers that children do, that they're not just being a shitty kid, that oh. they're actually acting out because of something going on that they do not know how to talk about it. I mean, some of these men aren't even addressing the fact that they were abused or talking about it for the first time until they're in their 40s, 50s or 60s because you just didn't talk about it back then. So, And something that they even mentioned in the documentary is there's kind of a sigh of relief amongst victims who are trying to be survivors that we do live in a culture where we're talking about this more. So um, I thought that was cool that somebody actually said, like, "I, I love the time that we're in now in that sense that this is being encouraged to be talked about. Because you're not going to stop it if you don't talk about it, if you continue to taboo the conversation It's we're just going to have this endless cycle of children being abused by probably people who were abused as children, like not to give a pass on that, but hurt people hurt people that people like to make fun of that saying. But there's a lot of genuineness to that. So anywho, good documentary. Great for raising awareness. Another one that's definitely a we should have mandatory reporting. Um, So that these kids have advocates to help them speak out when they might not know what to say or even that it is good to say, because unfortunately, kids are wired to trust adults. Right. Like it stinks because adults are good at earning kids trust. And that's only bad when it's in the hands of a person who's going to do bad things with that, right? It's incredibly good if, like, Captain America is good at earning kids' trust or, you know, an otherwise upstanding real person is good at earning a child's trust. It's viewed as a good thing. But, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, like I said, it's a good one to check out, if not any other reason than for awareness,
0: And I'm sure, too, it's probably another great example of why people should never fall into the trap of trusting something based on its image. You should always question people in power. You know, you've had too many people over the years that, you know, have gone, you know, fallen onto the sword to defend the Boy Scouts only to find out that, you know, that the leadership – not so good.
2: You know? Oh, right. And, I, and it's not all of them, right? This is definitely more like a, a few rotten apples type situation because mm. there's you know near thousands of these troops. but granted, God, they said something about like a hundred cases. Is still too many, like especially for that number. There was this very eerie interview, like back I think in the 80s or 90s, where this guy's like, "Well, you have to understand, it's only 99 out of six, seven, eight hundred troops." It's like, but the interviewer's like, "But that's too many." Like you, you don't see that this is anyway. I don't want to go on yeah. too long about it. It's just it's a really good documentary and very informative.
0: Yeah, and I think you also want to find out what happened to my forehead right
2: now. (laughs) Oh, yes. That was the first question I had for Tim. You guys can't see this, but he has a hilarious gash on his forehead that he would not tell me about until he started recording. So, Tim the Nerd, what did you do to yourself?
0: It's not what I did. Um, my bathroom door attacked me <laughs> you know? um, with the way it was situated. I was uh, getting up to use the restroom the other day at four o'clock in the morning. The bathroom uh, light was off. Didn't, you know, really matter that much. And um, with the way it's a small bathroom and the door is like literally right next to the toilet. And the door was just in just a little bit. And then when I sat down, my forehead hit the, the, uh, the door. And there was like an indentation in the door that it hit. And so initially I just thought, oh man, got a bump on my head. And then I'm going to the bathroom and all of a sudden I feel a tickling on my forehead. Bring my hand up, rub my forehead. My hand is covered in blood. <laughs> you <know>? Oh God! <laughs> so I'm sitting there just bleeding like crazy. Now, now to be clear, the the thing that the only real thing that hurt was the was bumping my head on the um, door itself. Um, you know, I mean, there's a reason professional wrestlers, when they do want to get blood, they cut their forehead because you know a lot of blood will come out, but it just it looks more devastating than it actually is. But just embarrassing to be, you know, four o'clock in the morning, barely awake, and then your door attacks you, you know? And then I thought, too, like, who's going to believe that, you know? Like, if I was in a relationship, people would be like, do, do, you know, do I, You're gonna? do you need to blink, Tim? Do you need to tell me something?
2: <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. It's like, uh, do you need to go talk to HR, or is everything, is it safe at home, <laughs> is yeah. the, the thing that I've gotten more than once. Like, it's funny, like, especially being a female body person. And going in to see a doctor anytime now they make sure to ask me if everything's safe at home and I'm like yep aces like great <laughs> like where was this when I was a kid anyway <laughs> yeah
0: But, yeah, that's what happened to me this week. Um, That and also watching um, this interesting little drama of these professional wrestlers that essentially felt it was cool to commit career suicide in front of a world audience.
2: (laughs) What happened there?
0: Oh, man. It was started off um, – it was with the wrestling group All Elite Wrestling AEW. A couple weeks back, they had a pay-per-view. Um, and the guy who won the world championship, CM Punk, after he won the match, they had a press conference. And CM Punk is sitting next to the owner of AEW and starts going in and ripping, personal, giving like personal insults, not only to another wrestler on the roster that uh, he went to court with. Um, he also started in- insulting executive vice presidents of the company that also happened to be wrestlers next to the owner of the company. And the owner, while all of this is going on, is just sitting there nodding his head, <laughs> which was a like great look for the people that are being insulted. And then after that, after the press conference, in the back, those executive vice presidents confronted CM Punk, and then a fight ensued to where a chair was thrown, which knocked somebody out, and a human being bit another human being. So, yay, wrestling!
2: (laughs) I was going to say, at least they finally carried over that hitting somebody with a chair bit to reality, I guess. But, uh, you know, normally you keep that stuff in the ring, you know, on the stage, some might say. But uh, I don't know. Normally biting—that was like a Mike Tyson move. So weird that they kind of ripped that off of boxing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean they've done some crazier things, uh, it, you know, on on the television for the pro wrestling world. But this this is just career suicide this is just the the person cm punk especially running his mouth about another person that he had a personal beef with in front of the boss was i mean it's like on the one hand it's like it's, it's i guess he didn't feel any he didn't care you know it's like he felt the courage to be able to do that but that doesn't make it right you know so yeah. it's interesting to see that fall out but let's talk about something positive here let's talk about fearlandia
2: Yes. So, you know, our weekly plug for the show that I am the casting director for, at least for this one more year um, there in Portland, Oregon. We are still actively looking for people for Fearlandia, specifically if you are a makeup artist and you have photos or a portfolio of your work, please feel free to apply. We are looking for at least one more that that is kind of their designated deal. Now, that being said, if you're a makeup artist with also an interest in acting, we are very happy to fold in our sfx artists into our haunt we love doing that you guys work on the production so if you want to be involved in both ways you can be um, but yes of course these are all paid positions with Finlandia we do not do volunteer like um, certain other haunts in the area do but uh, we are Paid production, the artist roles are paid, the acting roles are paid. So that's how that could even work to your benefit of you could technically get paid for both roles in that sense. So, um, But anywho, pay and stuff like that gets worked out after you pass a background check and all those things that happen after you fill out the application. So if you can tootle over to fearlandia.com. Or, you know, uh, find our job, our help wanted, because I did put a now hiring post um, both on my page. Personally, it's pinned to the top and it's probably going to live there for the next month and a half. um, Or following the link that will be included in our show notes today to get to the Fearlandia page or possibly even just directly to the application, whichever one Tim feels like sharing in there.
0: Uh, yeah, we'll be able to um, use the feature uh, um, option on the group page to be able to kind of highlight that. So if you go to our group page on Facebook, that information will be there for you. And definitely, definitely take advantage of it. This, it they're going to be solo again this year, so there won't be any sort of unnecessary headaches that they have to endure. Um <laughs>
2: Well, with working, whenever you put two haunts in one house, that mm-hmm. is always going to make things inherently more complicated, right? So yeah. not to say anything negative about the other haunt, I hope they have a lovely year um, and have a successful season themselves. Because really in the haunters community, we share that love. We want everybody to do well. You know what I mean? Other haunts doing well is good for our industry. And that's something that I have always loved and respected about the haunted house community, specifically in Oregon. It's very much that kind of feeling. But, Uh yeah, if you're looking – and, by the way, there are sometimes people who can't get paid and want volunteer opportunities, which is the reason that I wanted to clarify. This is a paid haunt. It has to do with our choices around liability. But if you do want to be put in contact with volunteer haunts, feel free to reach out. I do know a few in the area that are volunteer-based because they're smaller run.
0: Indeed. Indeed. So Tim, quit being an asshole. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim, don't make assumptions.
0: <laughs> anyway, let's move on here real quick. This week we do not have uh, listener comments about past episodes, which is cool. Understandable. Um, but we definitely do encourage you all to, um, if there is anything that you hear us either talk about on the show or on social media, uh, that's related to the show topics that we discuss, We'd love to make your podcast famous, so uh, reach out to us, and uh, we'll be able to put your comments on the show here. I last week with our bottled water episode, I did forget to bring up one company that is relatively new to the bottled water market called Liquid Death. They market it as if it's like an alcoholic drink, and the CEO of the company um, actually um, made sure that um, you know because of that, you know, one the the the, the can kind of looks like a like a forty ounce that you would uh, get at a cheap bodega or something like that. But two, the CEO made, wanted to make sure that he put his product out there in non-plastic containers. So there is a company out there that does recognize the threat of uh, plastic containers when it comes to bottled water and has actually done something about it. I'm sure there are people that may say, well, <laughs> aluminum cans are still bad, but you know, c- compared to plastic bottles... I think it's it's definitely the better option.
2: Yes, and they're also easier to recycle. Um, I believe the leaching issues aren't as much of an issue. But the other thing that's kind of cool about Liquid Death, I actually got introduced to it by my oldest stepchild. Um Z really likes it a lot. And in case you're looking for anything that's got a little bit of flavor twist to it, they do that too. I know her favorite flavor is mango chainsaw. I've seen that featured on many of duo calls with her dad. So, or here dad. See, I always mess up the pronouns on myself on other people. Um, But yeah, so there's that too. If you just really don't like just water, I guess I can see some argument to that. And they do have some interesting flavors at least.
0: Yeah, I mean water is good in and of itself, but occasionally it is fun to have a drink that has some flavor, so it's good to see that they have those options. So, Liquid Death, we're not you know, they're not sponsoring our show or anything like that, but I've tried uh I've tried it before. I I've liked it and it looks like uh your step uh, child as well is a firm believer in that product as well.
2: Yes, I've seen many a can because, yes, it does kind of look like an alcoholic beverage can. So the first Mm. time Z had it, I went, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) but uh you know no we're not sponsored by liquid death but if anybody from liquid death is listening and just wants us to sponsor them maybe you can send me a case of your water and i might try it i don't know just saying
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i mean yeah if you do stuff for us we'll be very happy (laughs) we sound so easy there but let's dive into our main event topic this week it's a topic that is near and dear to your heart i know tell us about it
2: So, yeah, like just kind of piggybacking off of the bottled water conversation. And this is something that I've wanted to bring up a few times. I have made it no secret that I try to be a plant-based human. Um, Large and part of that is for mental health. There's... Little hashtags you can actually look up, little movements like plant-based for positive change or whole body mental health, which, you know, that's that book that I talked about, How to Build a Healthy Brain, where she doesn't really support strictly the plant-based diet, but just that concept that your diet and what you put into your body absolutely matters. Um, And I also come from a farming background where we used to raise our own animals. Uh-huh. And that's going to come up very quickly because I know pro con number one is I'm going to get into that part immediately. So I did want to give a little bit of that background. So, this is something that I've been super interested in for a long time, um, especially when therapy was failing me. And I wanted to understand why I couldn't get my anxiety and my depression under control. And, you know, I had tried pills and then I had the unfortunate side effect that we talked about on the Suicide Awareness Show where that was the, the cocktail that got me the strength to try to do something very unfortunate. Um, and so I had decided at that point I, I didn't want to take the medicine route, at least not for a while. And I started looking into some things. And there's actually a lot of reasons to consider at least a vegetarian diet Um, for mental health reasons, for physical health reasons, and for environmental reasons. And I love that this pro and con article is going to hit on all of those. So I'm excited to talk about this. And there are seven. We, you know, the nerd, the Tim the nerd and I, the nerd and I, Tim the nerd and I kind of decided that we don't want to cherry pick these pros and cons because it gives us something to think and talk about. Um, And so when you cherry pick, you're more likely to give yourself a pass on understanding something. So Uh we we are going to split this into two to cover all seven.
0: Uh, indeed. Yeah. I mean, uh, as we've talked about before the pros and cons here, I like being able to re- honestly do some research on both sides of an issue like this. Um, because it, the more, you know, the more educated, you, you know, you can talk about that particular topic. Um, you know, I've made it no secret that I'm a meat eater myself, but, um, I did grow up with, uh, people in my family that were vegetarians, like, uh, um, family members that, uh, were involved in the Seventh-day Adventist religion, for instance. They are big proponents on health, um, and I, I believe we've talked about it on the show before, but uh, John, Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, the guy who ultimately um, ended up creating the breakfast cereals we all love, uh, was one of the big proponents, uh, was a Seventh-day Adventist, and a big proponent in the 1800s about healthy diets, but he also had other reasons why the, the, to eat those healthy diets as well, like, uh, like cornflakes for instance was meant to make you less horny apparently not think about sex
2: well you know he also was a big proponent of yogurt enemas, and i think that would also make one uh maybe less horny but yeah there's actually there is a drunk history episode on the kellogg brother fallout actually
0: and the um, foods that built america yes
2: does. and posts The inventor of post cereal was actually a patient under Dr. Kellogg's care and he totally went through their shit and stole like their recipe for the granola. And that's how we got grape nuts Uh because that was one of the dietary things they fed in the facility. So some of this stuff with food is very fascinating, right? Like we have been on a conversation about food and how to feed people and what to eat for decades, for several decades at this point. So it's definitely worth it to nerd out about and kind of talk about the different ways to think about this.
0: Well, let's do that. Let's dive into pro con number one.
2: <clears throat> Excuse me. So <clears throat> you know, let me clear my throat. <clears> throat> <on>. <laughs> 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 so <laughs> pro number one. <laughs> I gotta make it through <laughs> this one without laughing, but I'm I'm gonna give like another spin on this one. It is cruel and unethical to kill animals for food when vegetarian options are available, especially because raising animals in confinement for slaughter is cruel and many animals in the United States are not slaughtered humanely. Animals are sentient beings that have emotions and social connections. Scientific studies show that cattle, pigs, chickens, and all warm-blooded animals can experience stress, pain, and fear. In 2017, the United States slaughtered a total of 170.5 million animals for food, including 33.7 million cows, 9.2 million chickens, 124.5 million pigs, and 2.4 million sheep. These animals should not have to die painfully and fearfully to satisfy an unnecessary dietary preference. About 50% of meat produced in the United States came from confined animal feeding operations. CAFOs, they love their, uh, <laughs> their little uh, shortenings there. Um, in 2008, where mistreated animals live in filthy, overcrowded spaces with little or no access to pasture, natural light, or clean air. In CAFOs, pigs have their tails cut short, chickens have their toenails, spurs, and beaks clipped, and cows have their horns removed and tails docked with no painkillers. Pregnant pigs are kept in metal gestation crates barely bigger than the pigs themselves. Baby cows raised for veal are tied up and confined in tiny stalls their entire short lives, which is only three to 18 weeks. The Humane Methods of Slaughter Act mandates that livestock be stunned unconscious before slaughtered to minimize suffering. However, birds such as chickens and turkeys are exempt from the HMS, and a 2010 report by the U.S. Government Accountability Organization found that the USDA was not, quote, taking consistent actions to enforce the HMSA. So this one is a little bit think of the animals, but I did kind of want to put a spin on it for people who kind of and even i accept this to a point there is a natural predator and prey predator and prey relationship between animals right like if it weren't for supplements and things that we do have access to now which is a totally valid reason right to say that there's more ethical sources of protein there's more ethical sources of insert things like that does exist Um, So, yeah, it could be as simple as if you really don't want to hurt an animal, you don't have to. And if that's your reason for choosing, then great. But something that I wanted to cover is the fact that the way that we treat animals has more of an effect than just on the heartbreaking scenes in documentaries like Food, Inc. and stuff that I honestly can't even stomach watching because I can't stand watching animals be treated with like so little respect um, like I mentioned at the top of the show, I was raised on a farm. We didn't torture our animals. They, you know, they lived full out pasture lives. We were kind to them. We didn't treat them like just things, like mm-hmm. just a thing that's on a stock shelf that has no feelings or no needs. Um, I think the closest thing we had to that was our bunny barn, but it's still. Wasn't. What did
0: you do to the bunnies? <laughs>
2: well, I mean, they were kept in cages, and it was kind of lifted just to kind of make cleaning because they poop a lot. But yeah. you know they they still led very good lives for a rabbit being kept in a bunny barn, right? Um, Mm -hmm. They were separate from everybody else, but we still went in and we spent time with them. And it made it harder as I got older because, you know, the bunnies are so fluffy and I didn't want to kill them. And, you know, I did get to that point at some point, but, you know, part of that was because we had that relationship with them where we went in and we pet them and we treated them nicely and stuff like that. They were killed very humanely and quickly on our farm. Right. We bartered with locals to get other goods like there, there was a whole need for that for like a good chunk of my life. <clears throat> now, I did try to find a study that I had read a while back ago because the American Agricultural Association is stuck in my head. But I could not find anything on that specifically. But I did find a really good Atlantic article that kind of covers what I wanted to talk about. And that is, is there's real health effects to us eating meat from animals who are essentially tortured for all of their life. And if any of you guys are old enough to kind of remember when they started really looking at hormones and antibiotics being injected specifically in chickens is what I remember, and how some of those hormones in chickens were causing like girls' breasts to develop younger and some other issues like that, and that we were definitely having an effect from the antibiotics, it's not really that far of a stretch to understand that other hormones— that while they're not injected are still in the meat could potentially affect us. And that was a theory that I kind of held on to when I first tried to make those dietary changes, right? Because we're more aware that an increase in cortisol in your body is not good for your mental health. Uh So that was one of the first things I tried to consider was the quality of the meat that I had started eating after we no longer had the farm life. And so we found this or I found this Atlantic article. We're going to include it in the show notes. And now the article does kind of talk a bit about, and you know, if you're a hunter, you might be aware of this. If an animal experiences a lot of stress leading up to its death, it can make the meat tough. It can make it kind of affects its taste, its tenderness, its overall quality, right? That's why when a hunter kills a deer, they want to make sure it's put out of its misery quickly, Mm. because especially you know, deer meat and stuff like that. Anything that's a hunted animal, you want to kind of put it out quickly, but it goes into this one paragraph that I wanted to share. There's a side effect to this that's more alarming than the threat of tasteless meat. The Journal of Animal Science and researchers at the University of Milan's Faculty of Veterinary Medicine recently confirmed that fear experienced during slaughter significantly elevates meat's level of stress hormones, adrenaline, cortisol, and other steroids. Studies on human consumption of artificial growth hormones, which are believed by many to affect our reproductive systems and other bodily processes, have already resulted in policy changes in many countries, including those that make up the EU attention is now turning to these naturally occurring fear-induced hormones as scientists worry that their consumption causes similar problems. So this is more than eating red meat at every meal and clogging your arteries. This is now like kind of making a point that eating factory meat on the regular, might be actually detrimentally affecting our mental health as a culture and our physical health too.
0: And I think that's what's tripping me up a little bit about the about the uh, um, argument here that you know we should not eat meat because of what happens here. It's like it, to your point, they are, are essentially using the animal, thinking about w- saying, w- you know, what about the animals here? You know, it's yeah. it's um, I have, I mean, we've discussed it on the show, you know, like the uh, hormones and stuff that they inject into chickens to increase their breast size to the point to where the chickens cannot stand on their own two feet. I mean, th- there's really no reason for that. There isn't, you know, and the fact that it can affect the taste uh, of the animal. I mean, I am I am in all agreement. You know, I mean, for the the the, what do they call it again? The cafo's. I am all all for getting rid of those and in in enforcing you know, the, these these farms to properly kill the animals and to treat them right, you know, because I get it, you know, to your point, yeah, I mean, if you're raising cows for slaughter, you don't want to become their friend, you know, but yeah. that doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't mean you treat them like absolute garbage, though, you know what I mean?
2: Right. I think of uh, Native Americans had what I felt was a very respectful and positive relationship with animals, you know, they would even kind of Give it that bit of a blessing. Like, thank you for giving your life so that I can sustain mine. And I think that's a better attitude to have. And by the way, I don't want to invalidate anybody's emotional attachment in that sense or their feelings that this is wrong and therefore shouldn't do it. Right. Because I honestly believe as a Buddhist you know, doing no harm to things like that, that this definitely falls in that realm. And there's a lot of argument that in the Bible, you know, taking care of the least of these was about kind of flock stuff, too, and taking care of animals and things like that. Like, I think there's a lot of reason to care about treating something cruelly, because once you justify treating Objects and animals cruelly. That is kind of a slippery slope to even treating other people cruelly. But there's other reasons to think about how we treat these animals. That's not just, oh, the poor animals that are dying. Right. There's other factors to take in here.
0: And it's interesting that you say that too, because remember at the start of the pandemic, that um, company that had managers that that had a death pool for their employees on which ones would get COVID first, that was at a Tyson chicken plant in Arkansas. <laughs> you know, so um, you know, easy correlation when when you just see someone as an object or a number. You know,
2: exactly. It's it's bad across the board. So getting into the con. Mm-hmm. Eating meat is natural, not cruel or unethical. Vegetarians mistakenly elevate the value of animal life over plant life. <clears throat> Sorry about the clearing throat, guys. Sorry, we did a lot of moving stuff, so I've got some weird allergies right now, I think. Um, research shows that plants also respond electrochemically to threats. Every organism on Earth dies at some point, so others' organisms can live. That's a funny typo in there, I just noticed. There's nothing wrong with this cycle. Further, there is a growing movement to raise, quote, cruelty-free organic meat. In the United States, animals raised for certified organic meat must be given access to the outdoors, clean air, and water. Sorry, I can't help but laugh through that, and I'll explain that in a minute, guys. They cannot be given growth hormones or antibiotics and must be fed organically grown feed-free of animal byproducts. According to a 2007 report from the Range Improvement Task Force, organic meat accounted for 3% of total U.S. meat production. By the end of 2012, natural and organic beef accounted for 4% of total beef sales in the United States. And in 2019, 76% of consumers thought that grocery stores should sell meat and poultry raised and slaughtered with good animal welfare standards. U.S. slaughterhouses must conform to the Humane Methods of Slaughter Act, HMSA, that mandates that livestock be stunned unconscious before slaughter. Many of the largest U.S. meat producers also adhere to the handling standards developed by Dr. Temple Grandin. That factor in animal psychology to design transportation devices, stockyards, loading ramps, and restraining systems that minimize stress and calm animals as they are led to slaughter. By the way, there is a movie they did on Temple Grandin, and it is freaking amazing i think um and i i hope i'm not incorrect i believe she has autism yeah and so she kind of in an interesting way that some autistic kids do was able to kind of relate to these animals in a sense and like yeah just that whole story is is beautiful um now my problem and the reason that i giggled at the organic meat stuff. Um, That whole being able to technically meet the standards for organic meat does not necessarily mean that they are fully successful in removing all of the stress situation, right? Like having access to air and natural light can mean that they're still in a confined ass cage that's just outside, right? So, and it's funny because the reverend brother, my, my brother, Chris, who is on the show, he and I kind of started this funny game back and forth of like, we'll just throw something in quotes. And what it is, is it's like basically the marketing stuff that doesn't actually mean anything. And mm. one of the first ones I did was organic and naturally raised or what was it? Free range. Because unfortunately, when you've got marketing people desperately trying to convince you to buy their things, And if they've caught on that there's a market for people who want organic or want, quote, naturally raised products, they will meet those standards to a technical point and kind of miss the spirit of the whole thing. And then the downside is, is by making it more specific, it can make it harder for smaller farms to meet what they need to meet for something to be claimed as organic. So I don't necessarily think changing what organic means is better. Personally, I'm more on the side of if you're going to eat meat, maybe just eat less of it and get it from a local butcher. Like you can totally vet your sources and get better quality meat that is not going through the filter of a marketing person that's going Mm -hmm. to try to convince you that this is what you want.
0: And normally what I've found, too, especially in Portland, Oregon, uh, with all the fancy uh, sh- food shopping places you can go to, like the Alberta Street Co-op across the street or New Seasons, yay um, – Organic usually is like a code word for this is going to cost more. <laughs> you know? And and it, it's it's interesting seeing how people will flock to stuff like that, not taking into account that nine times out of ten, it's probably just as healthy as the stuff that you can get from much cheaper at a regular grocery store.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's an unfortunate thing. I just think that overall my view is that Factory farming is more interested in marketing and mm-hmm. making mass money. Okay. And that for me is always going to give me a hesitancy to trust them because they kind of don't seem to give a fuck about the effects their food has on people.
0: They don't. I mean, they want
2: the bottom line, right.
0: Any corporation, their job, in, in their inherent job is to continually get profits. And a company, a company that does not do whatever they can to get profits is not going to be a company that's going to survive. Now, do I agree with that mindset? By no means. But that's just a reality in today's capitalistic world.
2: Exactly. And so, I mean, that's any – big chain of anything right like you can see that separation from the humans that they're dealing with i mean even looking at big retailers they're just as guilty they Mm. kind of don't necessarily care where their product comes from they kind of don't necessarily care how well their workers are treated i mean look at some of the didn't they do a same death poll at one of the amazon (laughs) freaking facilities but um and stuff like that like it's just when you get big like that and the owners get so far removed from the workers and the end users, it's all numbers to them. It's very easy to emotionally separate the fact that it's humans that you're dealing with when you are put in a position to strictly look at numbers and your job is to make those numbers better. Yeah. So that's just a risk with anything big IMHO. Um, that's why it's like, hey, you know what? My, <laughs> the Mr. Reverend's boss goes deer hunting. So I am really looking forward to getting some ground deer meat and making chili, which, Tim, you get to look forward to that one because I will make chili for the house. Um, <laughs> or even getting deer heart because he doesn't necessarily like it, but he knows that I will use it. So he gave it to us last year. So I'm kind of assuming we might get some this year. Um, you know, you can win hearts. <laughs> oh Gosh, no, I made like a spatzel with it and it was amazing. Like I had never cooked deer heart before. So I was just trying to find a cool recipe. And like so basically there are ways. There are totally ways to get better meat and maybe just supplement your diet with more beans, which is also totally healthy and way fucking cheaper than the per pound you're spending on beef or chicken. Sorry, fact is fact.
0: (laughs) And you brought up uh, using a butcher as well, which uh, which surprisingly not as many people take advantage of as should because, I mean, while – the prices may be a little different than what you would get at a store. Essentially, what you, you what you have to do to use a butcher is kind of break yourself from the weekly spending mindset. To you know, I'm going to spend uh, you know a hundred bucks for a month's worth of meat or this, and you you know you get the kind of slices you want, and you know it's it's all done there. And and just cost wise, I, I believe it, it it will eventually even out. But it's like going to Costco compared to Fred Meyer, you know.
2: Right. So it's like you can also contact your local CSAs. They know people even in your local butcher shops. I guarantee they know farmers that are local. And uh, like something that my my mother in law and my brother in law do is with another family. They buy a cow every Uh year and they they split the cost of it across them and then they have their meat. So there's a lot of ways that if you don't want to cut meat entirely from your diet, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you have to. But if you really want to think of the, the implications this has on your health and on the environment, there are better ways to have your meat and eat it too, so to speak.
0: And if you are on, on the lower end of the economic spectrum and have to take advantage of stuff like food stamps, I believe most, if not all, butchers will accept EBT.
2: Yes. And I do realize that's a big ask because that's asking you to use a resource that's going to use more of that resource because food stamps are dollar for dollar. It's not like you get a meat unit. You know Uh what I mean? It's like, oh, this is good for five pounds of something. God, I wish it were like that because then you would actually be able to be empowered to make healthier choices. But that's a total other topic probably on food stamps and how those work. (laughs) But yeah, like there's just ways to flex options that could be better for you. If you want to look at it that way, if you're kind of like, well, you know, animals, we have this relationship and we kill them. Okay, but there seems to be other implications to treating them poorly and directly how it affects your health when you eat that meat.
0: Indeed, indeed. And I think that is a good segue here to dive into pro con number two. So let's do that. Uh, Pro number two, a vegetarian diet is more healthful than a carnivorous diet. According to the American Dietetic Association, a vegetarian diet can meet protein requirements, provide all the essential amino acids, the building blocks of protein, and improve health. It can also provide all the necessary vitamins, fats, and minerals and can improve one's health. According to the USDA and the Food and Agricultural Association of the United Nations, meat is not an essential part of a healthy diet. Studies have linked home, uh, H-E-M-E, that, the, the, the in air. Hey, iron found in red meat with an increased. Oh, heme,
2: heme iron. That that's a heme. thing. That's correct. Yeah, heme iron.
0: Okay, heme iron found in red meat with an increased risk of colorectal stomach and esophageal cancers. Vegetarian sources of iron, like leafy greens and beans, contain non-heme iron. Meat also has high renal acid levels, which the body must neutralize by leaching calcium from the bones, which is then passed into urine and lost. There are many sources of healthy vegetarian calcium, including tofu, uh, dark leafy greens like kale, spinach, and collard greens, as well as fortified cereals. A vegetarian diet reduces overuse of antibiotics, overuse of antibiotics and CAFOs causes antibiotic resistant bacteria to develop, which may endanger human health and definitely has a point. I mean, I think a lot of people could use could stand to take the amount uh, a healthy amount of meat out of their diets you know i again if if someone wants to go all vegetarian great or vegan that that's great that's your choice i don't think people necessarily have to completely cut meat out of their diets but you know if if you the meat on your plate far outnumbers the vegetables and other healthy stuff on there that may be time to you know just cut back a little bit you know so th- th- there is stuff def- th- this is not a pro you can really disagree
1: with
2: right i mean and it even goes back to the problem isn't necessarily eating meat at all right the problem is how much more we're having now i there's studies that are really coming out that seem to really support, and especially because I'm from Texas, y'all. So we have our biscuits and gravy with our side of eggs, and then you're probably still going to have some bacon with that, right? And then you've got to have meat on your sandwich for lunch, and you better have a good pot roast for dinner. You know, <laughs> like it's it's meat at every meal. That's really also being tied to clogging our arteries, causing some issues with our bones and our muscular structure and the overproduction of fat and certain other things in our bodies. So if you think about it, meat wasn't eaten as much that like longer ago like even if you think about the paleolithic diet which is one of those things I remember reading about it being busted at one point was you didn't eat constant meat like there's a reason that we're omnivores there was a lot of supplementation with gathering other foods to eat because I don't know if y'all noticed this we're not very fast (laughs) <laughs> like, we don't have the same ability to hunt as, as like, like strict carnivores. Like, think of your big cats, right? They're uh-huh. fast. They've got claws. They've got teeth. They've got jaw strength to kill something quickly. What do we have? We have the ability to sweat and outrun an animal until it's exhausted. That takes some time, right? So, like, this whole concept of having meat throughout the day or every day Does not make sense? And by the way, some of our strongest, like when you think in the history of athletes, um, I think it was the Spartans. I'm going to maybe look this up really quick while you read con number two. Mm -hmm. But the Spartans, the fucking people that used to like battle to the death, like in Roman times in the Colosseum, they were called bean and barley eaters. They were raised like they mostly ate a vegetarian, like damn near vegan diet. Mm-hmm. And they were like the warriors. They were the strong ones. So I mean, yeah. So <clears throat> there's a lot to this, and I, I got to address the you tofu thing now. First, I'm gonna say, I understand. I, I I'm looking Tim in the eye right now and saying I understand, but hear me out. <laughs> Have you ever had chicken that was just boiled in water?
0: Um, my mother probably did that at some point. Yeah.
2: It's bland. It's gross. If that was your only experience of chicken, I would understand if you thought it was nasty. Now, I've Uh been to a lot of places that serve tofu that do not do it right. There are a lot of really good ways to have tofu. And actually, I've addressed this with a personal friend of mine because she was diagnosed with something where she needs more like soy in her life, like to help with the diet, give herself some estrogen. So I've been sharing all of my best tofu recipes. There are ways to have tofu. That's not bland, nasty, soggy. Yeah. So, I mean, I understand if you don't want to try it and also addressing the myth, no dudes, it's not going to give you boobs. Uh, even men's health has addressed this, that it's not true. Uh, well, but here- will <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it's funny, as the chickens were probably giving you tits, um, <laughs> but you know, before they they changed those standards now, like like we had read, like they don't do that anymore. Um, but it's even funny because they were saying like due to the HMAs or whatever, but there was also an admission that there's like no strict like trying to make sure that people even do that anymore. But um, but yeah, like just you know, you don't have to like tofu. There's a lot of other ways to get protein and calcium, and like hey smoothies, as I am sipping on one right now that has a lot of berries and greens in it, I'm sneakily getting in some calcium right now. So there's, there's yeah. other ways that's not tofu, but I just wanted to throw it out there. Like If somebody has given tofu a bad name for you, please be open to the fact that just like with chicken, beef, any other protein out there, there are dozens, if not hundreds and thousands of different ways to make it. So sometimes it's just finding the right way to cook it that you like it.
0: Yeah, and and yeah, obviously when I said you, that was just my personal preference. There, so. <laughs>
2: yeah, and I like I said, I don't blame you. I I thought satan the first time I had that mm-hmm. was disgusting. It's it tasted to me like somebody dipped shoe leather and garbage water, and then I ate that. It was nasty. I hated the texture, but then I made it myself, and I learned whoa, huge difference. I can eat this. This is amazing. So even I've had my learning curves with that. So I do, you know, don't necessarily go get the most expensive tofu thing on on the menu, but I'm definitely one of those people. I will go out with my friends and let them try my food because I get it. I do. It takes almost a leap of faith, especially when you've had something before and it's been really gross.
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember I had somebody make me a tofu dish, and, you know, she was all proud of it, you know, put the plates down. I took a bite, and I swallowed, and it was just awful, and I shivered, but I – but me, it was like – this is good. And took another bite and just kept on Oh,
2: it. well, I mean, if you're interested, and I don't push this, I do make <laughs> a really good scrambled tofu if you like scrambled eggs. Um, I still make them for the Mr. Reverend's boss. Anytime he picks him up early morning, I oh. will make tofu burritos. And uh, he's lactose intolerant, so he already kind of likes like using some of the vegan cheeses. And he was like, yeah, my he, he actually said, I would buy this. If you put this on a menu, I would buy it. And to me, that that means something because he's like a very business-minded person. So, yeah, yeah there's people who have figured it out. Um, so, yeah, don't be scared to try new stuff every now and then, especially if it's somebody who's learned and made it with some love. That um, yeah. that can be very much better than maybe your experiences out and about.
0: And there was another thing I was going to bring up, too, and it relates to marketing. And I think you kind of sort of brought it up, too. It's like over the past 100 years, really, is is the when we've had. Thanks to refrigeration, of course, and I think it was briefly touched upon in the food that built America, you know, we've had marketing companies kind of push out meat a lot more than we did in the past, you know, because, yeah, when it's when when your country in the 1800s is mostly agricultural and not industrial yet, you know, you're not going to have access to as much meat as we do today. So a lot of times meat was more um, just one ingredient that you put in something, you know, you made a soup. That maybe had meat in it. You didn't necessarily have steaks every night, you know? And I think, you know, that if anything is more of a, uh, diet i uh, you know at the end of the day i would probably go for myself because i admit i probably eat way more meat than i do because uh, if, if you've watched our tiktok uh at uh, a lot at, at any point a lot of it is just me like gushing over greasy food and you know but that's a different story
2: <laughs> but you know what this does inspire me i should totally do the tiktok of making my nugs which is my replacement for chicken nuggets. My stepkids who are by no means vegan or vegetarian because they totally eat meat at their mothers, which they're especially now with us here in Maine, they're they're way more. But my homemade vegan euro meat mm-hmm. and my homemade vegan chicken nuggets are still two things that my stepkids request every time. And they've already told me that they're looking forward to having them again. So maybe I could at least do the chicken nugs because those are very easy, very crowd-pleasing. And you know what? That just kind of sounds good. (laughs) Maybe now I'm I'm craving it now. Now (laughs) I'm hungry.
0: (laughs) Well, let's go on here to con number two um, because that would put us one step closer to you being able to eat some food here. (laughs) Gone, too. Vegetarian diets are not necessarily better for the environment. Raising beef is often the most efficient way to produce food for humans. About 85% of U.S. grazing land is not suitable for raising crops humans can eat. 98% of the original American prairie lands, along with their native plants and animals, are gone. Most of that land is now covered in corn and wheat fields. Natural prairie uh, grasslands can coexist with sustainable herds of cattle or bison, but they cannot coexist with monocrop agriculture. Almost 100 million acres of farmland in the Corn Belt, about a third of the total farmland in the area, has lost all topsoil due to erosion, reducing corn and soybean yields by 6%, which is an almost $6 billion loss for farmers. The erosion also pollutes nearby waterways. 94% of U.S. soybeans, a vegetarian staple protein, and 92% of corn were genetically modified immune to herbicides. This immunity allows soy farmers to douse their fields with large quantities of weed-killing herbicides, which are toxic to other plants and fish. Some scientists worry that increased herbicides can, herbicide use could create superweeds. Processed vegetarian protein options such as tofu can cause more greenhouse gas pollution than farming meat. A 2010 report from the World Wildlife Fund found that the production of soy-based proteins such as tofu could contribute more to greenhouse gas emissions than eating locally produced meat. Giving up all animal products would only give a 7% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. Vegetarian diets can cause the death of animals, too. According to a 2003 study by Stephen Davis at Oregon State University, about six animals per acre, or 52 to 77% of the animals, such as birds, mice, and rabbits that live in agricultural crop fields, are killed during harvest. Further, it is not necessary to become vegetarian to lower our, environment, our environmental footprint. Some vegetarians eat an unhealthy diet, drive SUVs, and consume eggs and dairy products produced at factory farms. Some meat eaters use solar panels, ride bikes, grow their own vegetables, and eat free-range organic meat. All of a person's actions make a difference, not just a single act such as eating meat. And I guess, sure, that that is definitely true. But, you know, like they're using the two wrongs make a right argument here.
2: Right, which I'm, I'm not a fan of. And then the other thing that my curiosity perks over is are they actually counting all all of the emission factors when it comes to producing meat, because are they just saying the factory output or are they including the methane gas caused by the herds of cattle farting? You can't help that. That's a real thing. Like that does release and that is a factor. So I would be curious to pick, like if I were going to spend that extra minute, I would pick at that and see if that's actually true versus the tofu. Um, another interesting factor to come in, and I think it's going to come in cause they kind of split this funny cause pro number three is about it being better for the environment mm-hmm. because, and I'll let that go into like the water consumption, which is great since we just talked about how we need to be more aware of our water usage. Um, but yeah, the problem with some of the fields from what I'm understanding of it is we're having to produce for both. Because you're producing so much corn, but a lot of that corn ends up going to feeding meat, which then gets fed to people like it's almost like a middleman argument. So but I I do think the next pro will go into that a little bit more in a second.
0: Yeah, and I I I believe we've briefly talked about this, and I believe it was also uh, brought up on last week tonight. But the reason there is so much corn is due to government subsidies. You know, the government could easily say, "Hey, we're not going to subsidize corn anymore, but we will subsidize celery, we will subsidize, you know, cucumbers, whatever healthy food that they want." But the reason we do have so much wheat and so much corn. Government subsidies. And that would be another way for the government to step in to kind of make it better. You know what I mean?
2: Yes. And I did think it was funny, that little bit of shade. And this is, I think, more to the people of, oh, you're hurting the animals, like the animals that are harmed. I'm assuming during factory production, specifically, since they're running large machines through fields. um, Yeah, like that's going to happen anytime you machine process anything, because you're taking that human element of being able to do the discernment between your actions in a moment than a machine can. Mm -hmm. Right. It's it's kind of this is a cousin to people who won't eat honey. Right. Because, yes you do in the more traditional way of taking honey from one of the boxes you do kill some bees now it's not most of them it's not a large portion of them even it's some that get stuck because they need to take the slat out yeah but even then honey production has gotten better like when the mr reverend and i eventually own our house with some land i want to put a bee box somewhere I want to attract bees to my garden. I also would love some local honey to help with allergies. And now they've made some where you do a little shift and it'll crack it without ever having to take those out. And you can almost have like how um, you can tap a tree and have a spigot to kind of get the syrups and stuff. They've Mm -hmm. made that. They have made more ethical. So I guess to me, that's more of a neg on factory farming Which, again, can still be harmful if you're eating nothing but grains, greens, and beans because they're still at the bottom line trying to get your money. So there's going to be things that they're willing to overlook, whether it's their own workers and their quality there, whether it's about, nope, we can technically still use this pesticide even though it hasn't fully been tested – Those are the decisions big factories tend to make when you're so far separated. So, right, like this is something that's not just guilty in factory farming of animals, but also factory farming of plants. So to me, this is just going back to maybe try to get vegetables more locally where you can, where it makes sense, right? Like I do try to supplement with buying bulk because otherwise it would be insanely expensive to do it across the board. But I think just giving less To those types places is a better idea anyway
0: well let's dive into pro number three because as you mentioned it does kind of tie into the con for two
2: yes because we're con number two says the vegetarian diet is not necessarily great for the environment pro number three a vegetarian diet is better for the environment so let's read that counter argument shall we Overgrazing livestock hurts the environment through soil compaction, erosion, and harm to native plants and animals. Significant portions of the 11 Western states are grazed by livestock. Grazing has been a factor in the listing of at least 171 species of animals and plants under the Endangered Species Act because the large tracts of flat land interrupt natural habitats. Grazing also has, oh, sorry. Grazing has also damaged streams and riparian areas in the western United States. Abstaining from meat would help restore land more naturally suited to provide habitat for native plants and animals. A vegetarian diet conserves water. Producing one pound of beef takes about 1,800 gallons of water, about 576 gallons per pound of pork, and about 486 gallons per pound of turkey, and about 468 gallons per pound of chicken. A pound of tofu only takes about 302 gallons. And just to kind of make that side note, I wouldn't be surprised at all if some of these towns that are being affected by the bottled water people wanting their water more than they want them to have the resource... I would dare say this very well could be a factor in those situations too because you're dealing with these big factories who say, well, we need this water to feed America, right? Mm -hmm. We need it for our beef, et cetera. Anyhow, back to their – their pro. Um, meanwhile, raising animals for food contributes to air and water pollution. Manure produces toxic hydrogen sulfide and ammonia, which pollute the air and leach poisonous nitrates into nearby waters. Runoff laden with manure is a major cause of, quote, dead zones and 173,000 miles of U.S. waterways, including the 7,700 square mile dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico. People living near CAFOs often have respiratory problems from hydrogen sulfide and ammonia air pollution. A peer-reviewed 2006 study of Iowa students near a CFAO, or CAFO found 19.7 percent had asthma, nearly three times the state average of 6.7 percent. A vegetarian diet leads to lower greenhouse gas emissions. Greenhouse gases are created by entric fermentation, aka animal farts and burps, manure, <laughs> decompo- <laughs> manure decomposition, and de- deforestation to make room for grazing animals and growing feed. A June 2014 peer-reviewed study found that diets, including meat, caused the creation of up to 54% more greenhouse gas emission than vegetarian diets. According to the United Nations Environment Program, a, quote, worldwide diet change away from animal products is necessary to stop the worst effects of global climate change. So see, it hit kind of all those high notes. And I don't remember which documentary went into it. And maybe after we release the second episode or sometime in the weeks that these are airing, I Mm -hmm. might make a list of my favorite documentaries about, granted, they're more veganism, but vegetarianism. I think it was Game Changers because they did the perfect trifecta of, like, the body effects, the environmental effects. And, like, I even think they did mental health, too. And they also had Arnold Schwarzenegger on there who – did somewhat recently go to a vegan diet after one of his scares with his heart. Um, But I want to say they talk specifically about these neighborhoods where they put like some of these factory farms and them being in poor neighborhoods. So it being just another way that lower income folks tend to get abused by our larger marketing system, right? Because They're not going to put the pig farm next to wealthy Americans in the nice neighborhood. No, they're going to put it over there where the houses are really cheap because of the location to the factory farms. So, see, there's other implications that's even causing harm not by eating it directly, right?
0: And again, I mean, the argument that they're making here is kind of disingenuous because they're not arguing really about eating meat. The argument here that they continually make in the pros here is is about factory farming. And, you know, I, as a meat eater myself – I would support if we put uh, – if we enforced a lot of these rules that we apparently have on the books that we're not enforcing these companies to do. And also, too, uh, you know, the, the studies have shown that, yeah, herding large amounts of uh, animals is going to make the meat bad, It's going to do all kinds of stuff. And and it, it's, I, I have no – I have no disagreements with that, but I, I guess I just have the big disagreements so far with with their tying in something that doesn't have to do with eating meat and saying that that is a reason to not eat meat. You
2: know, right? And then also, um, I'm going to pull this article and include it because I also remembered kind of a point being made that because, like, the whole de- deforestation argument that it's not only impacting our environment and means of, you know, species going extinct or endangered and stuff like that. It's reducing our number of trees. But the other interesting implication that it has is there are some of the viruses, like some of the ones that killed a lot of people Mm -hmm. that happened because of deforestation and moving into areas that we weren't traditionally getting food from. And so there is a National Geographic that I'm going to give to you tim to make sure it's included in the notes deforestation is leading to more infectious diseases in humans because basically we're finding it we're i want to say like it was um a mad cow disease may have been one of them but something basically happened because we cleared a bunch of land and it happened to be closer to these bats Mm -hmm. and that wound up getting contaminated into the meat which then really hurt a lot of people but it's happened more than once So, even just the continually clearing land to make more and more meat is causing harm too in very ways that we can't really necessarily expect or account for ahead of time to prevent. So, just to go ahead and go right into con number three, eating meat is part of a healthy diet. (laughs) Meat is the most most convenient protein source available. In one serving, meat provides all the essential amino acids, which is the building blocks of protein, as well as essential nutrients, such as iron, zinc, and B vitamins. Most plant foods do not provide adequate levels of all of the essential amino acids in a single serving. Saturated fats contain fat-soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K, and the cholesterol from saturated animal fat is needed for proper function of serotonin receptors in the brain. Low cortisol levels have been linked to depression. Um, Or sorry, low cholesterol levels have been linked to depression. (laughs) Let me read that correctly. According to a study by researchers at the Institute of Social Medicine and Epidemiology, vegetarians, quote, suffer significantly more often from anxiety disorders and or depression. Saturated (laughs) fats are also essential for—we could totally get into that in a minute, though. Saturated fats are also essential for building and maintaining brain health or maintaining cell health, I need to learn how to read, folks, I'm sorry, and help the body absorb calcium, meat is the best source of vitamin B12, a vitamin necessary to nervous and digestive system health. Although it is also found in eggs and dairy, a peer-reviewed July 2003 study showed that two in three vegetarians were vitamin B12 deficient compared to one in 20 meat eaters. Eating meat also provides a better source of iron than a vegetarian diet. The body absorbs 15 to 35% of the heme iron in meat, but only absorbs 2 to 20% of the non-heme iron found in vegetarian sources like leafy greens and beans. So I did want to throw out there, 1 in 20 is still a lot of people to be B12 deficient. And from my understanding of B12, one of the best sources that I get is something called nutritional yeast, which is a darling in the vegan community for making vegan cheesy sauces. It's really funny because putting nutritional yeast on popcorn became popular out of nowhere because it gave it a cheesiness better than like the really manufactured powders. Um, So B12, we would get more from our vegetables like in the wild. But the problem is, and it's not necessarily a problem because we do want factory farmed or any farmed vegetation to be cleaned well, is that we wash it off. We wash it off in the cleaning process to prepare it to be sold commercially. So really the best source of B12 we don't get because of our cleanliness standards. Now that's not a problem. But this is where supplementation really comes in handy, because that's just that lesser of two evils things, right? Like, you, you don't want E. coli. You uh-huh. don't want things that we found are more likely to be gotten by not having these cleanliness standards. But yeah, there's, there's better ways to get it than in meat, but most Americans are deficient in b 12
0: and let's be honest here, too. Uh, when I see eating meat as part of a healthy diet, you know, usually the people that will say that are probably like 400 pounds and, you know, eat 95 percent meat, you know, and, and and think about it, too. Like, you have a nice steak. You're not going to be eating necessarily super healthy stuff along with it. You're going to have a baked potato, drenched in butter and sour cream. You're going to have bacon on top of it. And think about all the greases that, that are uh, in it as well. Um, you know, and also think about science too. I mean, the, you mentioned supplements, I mean, you can buy, can't you buy like vitamin B12 pills that you just take like one a day and boom, you get your supplement. I mean, we have thanks to medicine, thanks to technology. We have ways to where if you did want to have the vegan slash vegetarian diet, you can do it without missing these other things that are getting somewhat lost in the process, you know?
2: Yeah. And like something that I've made fun of in the past, um, as far as unhealthy vegetarians go, oh, absolutely. Just like there's that that you just mentioned with unhealthy meat eaters. I think the problem here is education on our food, because something that I have totally kind of made fun of is what I call Oreo and Dorito vegans. Not to break anybody's brain here, but Oreos are vegan, guys. Now, if you eat Oreos for breakfast every day, that is not healthy. That is not good for you. Like um, what I've loved about listening to building a healthy healthier brain, or no, build a healthy brain by Kimberly Wilson, uh-huh. is she's actually going into how we have a lot of deficits in our diet that means our body is not getting what it needs. Some might say that if your body at some level knows that it's like in a way kind of dying, or not getting what it needs, it's going to increase things like anxiety feelings and stress feelings, because your body's not operating, and it's optimal. So yeah, like some of that, like I understand. But I think we have problems whether or not you're eating meat or not with the whole, what is a healthy diet? What should we be eating and having true education on that that's not being influenced by lobbyists? because whenever you look yeah. well lobbyists and marketing right because there's also like the my plate now like what used to be the food pyramid a lot of that did have influence from big beef and big dairy big beef is its own lobbying nightmare um and dairy is too like that was kind of part of the three glasses a day campaign that came from the dairy lobby And what they found after years of sitting there on TV telling people to have their three glasses a day to decrease osteoporosis was that osteoporosis went up because it turns out there's also things in dairy that blocks our ability to absorb the calcium in it. Because it turns out it's not as simple as, oh, this has this thing and we are absorbing it. And they did kind of go into that with the iron, right? Like we do absorb things differently. So to me, this is more of... Yeah, meat can be part of a healthful diet, but it also takes some education and some willingness to not have it at every meal.
0: Yeah, because there are plenty of vegetarians that will chow down on the beyond meat stuff.
2: Oh, yeah. And that's not necessarily better. Now, granted, I do buy those things, like, right? Like, I'll get stuff like that on sale, but it's a treat food. It's like, I don't need a box of Oreos every day. You know, I don't need a Beyond Beef Patty. I don't need Tofurkey slices every day. Like, a lot of my meals, if you ever go onto my Instagram or anything, is beans made like dozens of different ways because it goes into there's hundreds and thousands of ways to make different things. My personal favorite is chickpeas. I think they're amazing. Um, I also really love my lentil sloppy joes. Salads are great. Soups are amazing. Like there's a lot of food out there that's not going and getting the faux version of the same unhealthy diet that we've been encouraged for generations to eat.
0: Indeed, indeed. So, speaking of that, should I dive into pro and con number four?
2: Yeah, last one for this episode, and then we'll split to a second part.
0: All right. Pro four eating fish is not more ethical, environmentally sound, or healthful than eating other animal protein sources. The U.S. EPA states that nearly all fish and shellfish are contaminated by methylmercury, a potent neurotoxin from industrial pollution. The omega-3 acid ALA, found in vegetarian sources like walnut, flax, and olive oils, is converted by the body into EPA and DHA, the essential omega-3 acids found in fish, and sufficient to meet the dietary needs of humans. And, again... It's, it, they're arguing to not eat fish but the argument isn't that the fish themselves are what is the cause here? It's other things that are, that are causing the fish to not be healthy. And that is definitely something that should be addressed. You know, I mean, people in a pinch, if, if you are poor, but you live next to some flowing water and you got a fishing pole, that should be the one thing that you should be able to, uh, eat and be able to be able to enjoy, I guess. But you know, it, the argument that we shouldn't eat fish because fact, Factories are poisoning them. Isn't an argument against not eating fish? Is an argument against stopping the factories from polluting?
2: So it's funny. I just looked up really quick. How does mercury get into lakes and streams? And one of them is discharge from industrial waste. <laughs> so, um, and that's just a quick Google, guys. This is not saying that I, I fully vetted this. I was just curious while Tim was talking. I'm like, <laughs> that figures. So I just, I love that this is almost like a pescatarianism, ain't enough, you gotta go full vegetarian. Um, That being said, from what I understand of methylmercury intake, I guess this is more of an argument of don't eat fish for breakfast, lunch, and dinner either. I mean, fish is a great source of omega-3 fatty acids, and that's actually a building block for your brain. That's Uh one of the ones that Kimberly Wilson goes into with her book about how we should have it. Now, granted, this is also where supplementation is great because guess where else you can get similar to the the, the same structure of omega-3s found in fish? It can also be obtained from algae. So you can actually get algae-based omega-3 fatty acid um, DHA. Totally safe to have it. It's a way to supplement because again, like I get it if we were living off the land like we were generations and generations ago. But the thing is, is we do have a science minded community where we can actually supplement some of these things. Like, hey, if you don't like nutritional yeast and need to get your B12 up, you could take a B12 supplement. It's not that crazy of a thing to do. If you want to get your omega-3 fatty acids and want to make sure you're getting it from a vegan source, you can do that. It's more readily available than ever before. So yeah, it's just, to me, it was kind of funny. But I think catching a fish, having a fish every once in a while, like some good fatty fish or oily fish is good for your health. But it just goes back to, but maybe not every day.
0: Moderation. I mean, too much of anything is going to be bad, no matter how good the core thing is, Right. you know, and, and uh, yeah, so kind of a disingenuous argument, but let's go into the last con here for this week. And that's a diet that includes meat does not raise risk of disease. Saturated fats from meat are not to blame for modern diseases like heart disease, cancer, and obesity. Chemically processed and hydrogenated vegetable oils like corn and canola cause these conditions because they contain harmful free radicals and trans fat formed during chemical processing. Lean red meat eaten in moderation can be a healthful part of a balanced diet. According to researchers at the British Nutrition Foundation, there is no evidence that moderate consumption of unprocessed lean red meat has any negative health effects. However, charring meat during cooking can create over 20 chemicals linked to cancer and the World Cancer Research Fund finds that processed meats like bacon, sausage, and salami which contain preservatives such as nitrates are strongly associated with bowel cancer and should be avoided. They emphasize that lean unprocessed red meat can be a valuable source of nutrients and do not recommend that people remove red meat from their diets entirely, but rather that they limit consumption to 11 ounces per week or less and
2: Sorry, can I just make a point that most steaks are sold as 12 ounces? (laughs) And that's per week. That's even the pro-meat people saying that's how much red meat you should have in a week. That's not including a burger, which are, you know, quarter pounders, right? Well, think
0: Um, about – they mentioned bacon. I mean, if I remember like a decade ago, everything online was bacon this, bacon that – that was because of uh, marketers related to the bacon industry pushed it out there that, you know, bacon is somehow a good thing. They helped push that to where people were eating more bacon. And th- as we've said, yes, if you eat constantly all uh, 90% meat, yeah, that's that's not healthy. Eating meat in moderation is the way to go if you decide to eat meat, you know, so – yeah i mean i i agree with that you know if you are if you are eating the proper amounts the 11 ounces or less for for a particular week you know then you're following the instructions you're doing good but as americans here you know we're the type that go to 7-eleven buy those quarter pound uh hot dogs and and just have to plow our way through those we you know Go to McDonald's. We get the smash burgers. We overdo it. And when you overdo it, it's going to lead to bad health stuff. So I don't disagree with this.
2: Oh, yeah. And something that's also related to all of this is something called the China study. And there is actually a book about this study they did. And that was where we had a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to watch what the Western diet did as it worked its way across China. And I remember one of the things um, that they brought up was there was a specific area where cheese like really caught on. And I want to say it was prostate cancer that also skyrocketed with that increase in cheese consumption. So, and it wasn't that they never had these things. It was just the access became a lot more. Mm. So I don't know. It's not necessarily that it is unhealthy to eat meat at all ever. It's just showing that the standard American diet really does seem to influence our propensity for getting things like diabetes, heart disease, diseases of the brain, the eyes, etc. Like eating too much of it is seeming to do really bad things. And unfortunately, our normal day-to-day diet in America seems to really encourage an overconsumption of meat
0: think about it i mean it has to do with like the supersized aspect i remember when mcdonald's first introduced the supersized option on their menus and what that was if you bought a big mac and said supersize it essentially you get a little bit more for just a little bit cheap for you you, you pay like a dollar or two extra and everything is just bigger and Yeah. I mean, we are trained as consumers to want more, more, more when, when it comes to food, we shouldn't necessarily think about that, you know, and, and I am not throwing stones. I make it no secret that my current diet is not where it should be. So if there are people out there that, uh, you know, are, that are listening again, I am one of you. (laughs) You
2: (laughs) And I'm not perfect about it either by any stretch. Like I'm, and that's part of the reason I try to educate myself on it because for me, the more I know, the more I am likely to make the smoothies and have those. The more I am likely to like, okay, I know that McDonald's breakfast burrito sounds really fucking good right now, but I know I've got like some stuff at work and I can have a snack when I get there. Or I know I can either make, you know, my own breakfast burritos and make them where I can take it and microwave it at work if I want to. Right. Like giving yourself knowledge The only thing it does is it empowers you to make better decisions for you. Now, you can choose to not. And I don't even necessarily view that as a bad thing because you're just making choices for yourself. But, you know, I think the people that just heel dig and just want to fight every bit of evidence on this, I'm not going to feel bad when you're overweight and you've got like problems like with diabetes, gout, heart disease, things like that nature that seem to be very much caused. These are like metabolic diseases, basically.
0: Cause like, what are they going to do? Chase after you? <laughs> you <know?
2: laughs> I run faster than you.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: I have um, the diet of a gazelle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. But ultimately, yeah. Like we mentioned, we are going to be picking this topic up again next week as well. And, um, Ultimately, yeah, it does take some education and it does take changing habits as well, because like I I think of me when I worked uh, at at Apple in downtown Portland here, I didn't take my lunch to work nine times out of 10. And because of that, I would usually bounce out of work at lunch hour and head to one of the food carts, which had lovely, lovely, greasy, greasy food to eat, (laughs) you know, so. The knowledge that you learn is not only going to be knowledge in terms of the types of foods that you eat, but the knowledge that having better habits as well could lead to healthier behaviors too. Because if you are bringing healthy work, uh, healthy food to work, you're not going to hit the vending machine. You're not going to go to McDonald's next door or hit a food cart.
2: Yes. And if it makes it easier, like make that relation to the mental health implications here. You know, as we talked about in the suicide episode and many episodes, we have an epidemic of depression and anxiety. So if you can even remove just some of those, I'm going to get a bag of chips from the snack machine decisions. If you can buy yourself healthier versions of those snacks to like keep in your desk and like have that willpower. And hey, guess what? If your willpower sucks and I will own this one. I don't buy more than one box of cookies at a time because I know for a fucking fact I will justify eating all of them. (laughs) Like I will obsess about them. I know they're in the kitchen and I will just want them. But I've noticed when I make my own stuff because it took me a while to make it, I don't clear through it as quickly. So you can even kind of play with what works with your brain, right? You can pack your daily lunch and snacks, right? Like this is something – I mean, stereotypically women have done for generations on the dieting spectrum is, okay, well, I've got my snack for this time. I've got my piece of fruit for this time. I've got this portioned lunch and nothing else. You can do those things to try to hedge bets in your favor to make better decisions for your body. And hey, fun side effect, if you care about greenhouse pollution and stuff like that, making better choices your body looks like it can also result in you voting with your dollars and not giving money to places that are completely trashing our earth.
0: Indeed. Speaking of places that are not trashing the earth, let's talk about Fearlandia one more time.
2: Yes, guys. So once again, we are definitely on the hunt before I start going to Craigslist and posting things and stuff like that. Um, We are looking for a makeup artist and we are still looking for cast, um, possibly even understudies and backfill for first years, because sometimes I will use those people to fill in on nights that are primary actors that have had seasons of experience when they need a night off, because it's nice to give them that. However, most of us are freaks and want to be there every night. So um, yeah, if any of that interests you, feel free to reach out. And like I said, if you're in a situation where you can't be paid but want to get involved in spooky season, reach out to me on that one too. I will gladly put you in touch with one of the handful of haunts that I know of that accept volunteers or are volunteer only.
0: Indeed, indeed. And you don't want to talk to a crusty bastard like me about that one, apparently.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it is kind of a difference because there are a lot of actors who are actors out there and they are offended by the idea of volunteer run haunts. I just wanted to at least put it out there that there's reasons sometimes that those are volunteer run. And some of those it's because their proceeds actually go like there's a haunt in the area that is volunteer, but everything it does supports a school for the deaf. And a lot of those volunteers are from that School for the Deaf. So, I mean, there's some really cool ones out there.
0: I mean, I I get that mindset. I mean, I think of writer Harlan Ellison, who, uh, you know, was rather forceful in interviews, stating that, you know, if you create something, you, you know, giving it away for free is the dumbest thing you can do. And to a point, yeah, he's right. But those people that 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 just hold on to it, waiting for whatever bit of cash they think they're going to get, nine times out of ten, that work doesn't necessarily see the light of day. You know, unfortunately, you will have people that will take advantage of you. But, you know, a local haunt is not one of them. It's, it's like community theater, just you're going boo. You
2: know? Yeah, I mean, you better not in my haunt. I actually have a very specific <laughs> thing in our guidebook that if I hear you go boo to any customer, you're getting a talking to, and that's your only warning. Because that legitimately will get complaints. People don't think it's cute, they don't think it's funny. Most of the patrons at a haunt like want you to scare them. Mm-hmm. And that is just something that I guess really doesn't play well. Just funny side note, like, oh my god, please don't be somebody who's gonna try to throw that in there because it won't work. I've done it in the queue. That that's been successful because they're not in there yet. Right. But yeah, like that was a whole conversation at one of the haunters conventions that I went to was like Don't say boo. People don't like it. It's not cute. It's not funny. Once they're in your world, it takes them out of your world. (laughs) Like there's a whole thing. (laughs) Anyway, that little side tangent aside, if you're really into spooky season, those tend to be the people who also don't mind volunteering and helping something for free, right? Because you get an excuse to play Halloween all month long and not be looked at weird by your coworkers by wanting to wear a costume every day. So there's a lot of benefits to getting involved. That's not just the money.
0: And it's a better holiday than Christmas, so
2: at least it's not you know super in the background of marketing and toys. Thanks, Mattel. Anyway, <laughs> I've also started watching the Toys That Built America, and uh, they did a whole thing on Mattel and Hasbro, and they're like back and forth and how we got to the point where we advertise directly to kids. So we can yeah. thank Mattel for that move.
0: <laughs> yeah. My generation. We were the, first, we were the Guinea pigs for that <laughs> with uh, Transformers, Transformers man and the masters of the universe and all that stuff.
2: Ooh, that's the next episode is a uh, He-Man. I think that's what they are going to bring up in the next one that we're going to watch. We just kind of started it. So,
0: Oh man, they're, 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 it's funny though. The He-Man actually did have some writers on, on that show that went on to some bigger things like uh, the guy who created Babylon five. One of his first jobs was working on He-Man.
2: And some bonus nerd for you guys at the end of the episode. How about them apples?
0: <laughs> Indeed. Well, we thank you all for listening. Every Saturday we'll have something in this podcast space to entertain your ear holes. Until we meet again, we bid you adieu.
2: Eat less meat. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You're the first rate whore that you
2: are Long as you keep a way of balance How can they start? You're full of malice
1: Razzle dazzle them Razzle
2: dazzle them
0: Razzle dazzle them And they'll
1: beg for their love (laughs)
0: subscribe to friends talking nerdy on itunes the google play music store as well as spotify remember to support
2: friends talking nerdy on patreon goodbye darling